we're getting ready to get into the New Testament. Uh, amen. And we're going to be talking about a New Testament. Now, New Testament is 2,000 years old. But the Old Testament is uh, around 6,000 years old or maybe 5,000 years old. So the New Testament, a testament is a, um, is a testament, a New Testament. Testament is, um, a, uh, is a testator, and uh, it is the thing that God has given us. And so the Old Testament is the thing that God gave us, and the New Testament is the thing that God gives us. So between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was about 400 years. And uh, between those uh, years and then the New Testament come in. We know that the New Testament is inspired by God and that uh, it was written of holy men, amen, as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. There are 27 books in the New Testament. And it's kind of neat because if you take Old Testament 3 and 7, amen, there's uh, uh, 20... uh, there's no three times or take three and seven, 27, the 37 books in the Old Testament. Praise God. But if you take uh, the three in the New Testament and uh, nine in the Old Testament, three times nine is 27. So that's a good way to remember how many books is in the, the New Testament. And so it covers about 100 years of span back then. And, uh, and so as we look at it, um, the, the, the Bible tells us, amen, that there are 27 books, or there's 27 books. They were not always in one book. Um, they, they used to be different parchments, but they put them in an order, in, in the proper order, because the first four books is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, they write about the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and etc., and then come the epistles, and then, uh, praise God, which we used to kid in the Bible college, we'd say the epistles were the apostles' wives. Praise God. But then there was the epistles, that's the books that were written, praise the Lord, to the churches or to different people. We'll talk about the split of that. And then the last book was the book of Revelation. But these are the books that uh, cover your uh, New Testament. Praise God. And so it's, it's new, and there are 27 books. And so one can easily remember by New Testament, three times nine is 27. Praise God. And so the writers were moved on by the Holy Ghost. There's some things here today that I think you're going to find extremely uh, interesting. You see, these books were written over a period of approximately 50 years, and it covers about 100 years of span. And so uh, these writers were moved on by the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. There was Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James, Peter, and Jude. These were the writers of the New Testament. The New Testament is divided into five sections, as you can see up on your overhead. Praise God. There are five sections that's there. Amen. And so there are... Uh, four books that is in the New Testament. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are called the Gospels, the Good News. Then these books, praise God, uh, present a bibliography of Christ, and they describe his birth, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Now, I find this interesting 
Matthew addresses the Jewish for, uh, followers. Uh, it strongly emphasizes Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the King predicted by the Old Testament. So Matthew tries to uh, write towards the, the Jewish uh, people. Mark, amen, he, he writes towards the Gentile readers. And in his mind, praise God, he shows Jesus as a servant who ministered to the needs of the people. It stresses the supernatural power of, the, of Jesus in his demonstration both of his deity and, and all the miracles that he did, he performed. It emphasizes that Jesus said these things that he did. He wants you to know that he did them. Luke, on the other hand, presents Jesus as the Son of God, and he focuses especially on the humanity of Jesus. Praise God. His compassion for the weak and suffering and outcast. Luke was a physician. These are called, uh, these gospels uh, are called synomic, synoptic gospels. The first three gospels are sometimes called synoptic gospels, meaning that they take a common view of the order of events surrounding the life of Christ. While each book was ultimately intended for all of humanity, Matthew sums, seems to have the foremost, in his mind, a Jewish audience. Mark, a Roman audience, and Luke, a Greek audience. Now, Matthew, in the scripture, he deals with the Jewish audience, praise God, in the scriptures. And he teaches them, or the view uh, of Praise God, the scriptural perspective. Matthew quotes from the Old Testament a lot. He talks from the Old Testament. He brings up the Old Testament a lot in his scriptures. Mark, amen, and he uses authority. He talks about the authority that Jesus had. The Roman, in their mind, focused on governmental authority and power. Mark stresses the miracles that Jesus did. And he emphasizes on his supernatural power. Luke, praise God, talks about the perfection of Jesus, his glorious perfection. In the Greek mind, Greek was attracted, their culture was attracted to philosophy and wisdom and reasoning and beauty and education. Luke presents to them, praise God, a God that is like this. Amen. The Gospel of Luke reveals a glorious beauty and perfection and how God was an ideal man. John was separate. John, when he wrote, he wrote separately. John wrote about the deity of God. Praise God. As we look at John and, and, and his relationship with Jesus, he was the one that was at the side of Jesus. That's where I would have wanted to have been. I wouldn't have wanted to have been a reporter just reporting about him. I would have, been, I would have wanted to have been the one that was there and knew what was going on. John balances all the other three Gospels, praise God, because his emphasis is on who Jesus really is, the deity of Jesus. This book begins in much the same manner as the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John, praise God, kicks his book off much like Genesis does. The, begin, the book begins much like Genesis. Amen. It reveals that Jesus is the Word made in flesh. 
Praise God. And that he is the creator of all things. John stresses the things Jesus said rather than what he did. He was more about what he said. Someone has said the others were anxious to record. John was eager to interpret it. Praise God. And then those are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I think you can see, like I was seeing, how that God, amen, knew what he was doing when he wrote them Gospels. Because it's a variety that reaches out to many people today. Praise God. It's not for men that have the four, you know, because I've often said, amen, just one preacher preaching from this pulpit doesn't cover everyone. <clears throat> Everybody has their form of preaching or the men that can reach them. And, and so we all have a variety. We all need a variety. And God gave us a variety in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So those were the Gospels. And then the next book that is in our Bible is the book of Acts. Praise God. After the Gospels, praise God. In the New Testament, amen, it talks about the account of Jesus. The next book is book of Acts. It provides a historical account of the early church. You can either say it's the book of Acts it's it, of, of the apostles, it's the book of Acts of Jesus Christ, it's the book of Acts of the Holy Ghost, it's the book of Acts of the first church. And when you look into that, which is a wonderful thing, praise God, because when you go to salvation, just this week alone I was talking to a gentleman, and I said to him, I said, you realize that the Holy Ghost is for you today. And he said, I, I, I got the Holy Ghost. I speak with tongues, but I have no one to interpret. And I said to him, I said, well, I said, the Holy Ghost is for more than just interpreting. And he went to Corinthians, and I said, that's in, the, in, in Corinthians. I said, but in the book of Acts, they all received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He said, and spoke in tongues. And I said, and there was no interpretation. And uh, he smiled and said, yes, you are right. And so the book of Acts is the place where salvation was given. The epistles was letters that were written to churches. If somebody tries to take you to the epistles to try to show you salvation, that's not where it's at. The epistles was letters that was written to people that was through the book of Acts. And I've even teased people. I've said, look, unless you've gone through the book of Acts and you're part of the church, don't read the church's letters. Praise God. And so, amen. But the book of Acts, amen, is the church and the history on the church. It's the moment that's the last moments of Christ, his, his establishment in the New Testament of Jerusalem. There's where the promise of the Father of the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out, Acts chapter 2. Praise God. And it's the establishment of the church. The book records the history of the New Testament as it's being born. That's the book of Acts. And then there's the epistles, praise God. The next 21 books uh, are the epistles. In other words, they're letters written to believers in church, praise God. They tell them of the victorious Christian life. And the epistles are not written to tell one how to be saved, but they're written to people that are already saved. And so <clears throat> when they give instructions on tongues and interpretations and et cetera and et cetera, it has nothing to do with the foundation receiving your salvation. It, it has to do with dealing with the church. But the epistles are broke up into two different parts. The first one is the Pauline epistles. Paul wrote 13 epistles that identified him as the author. 
They're called the Pauline Epistles. He wrote a letter to the church of Rome, two letters to the church of Corinth, praise God, and one of the churches to Galatia, praise God, one of the churches to Ephesus, and so forth. Within the Pauline epistles, there are three books commonly called the personal epistles. That's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And so, praise God, that's why these are called the epistles. Now, they're called, there's eight general epistles. And the eight general epistles are Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. And they're called the general epistles because they uh, were originally written to the church at large in general. They're to the whole church. And without the exception of Hebrews, each of these books bears the name of the author. The author put his name on it. And then the last book, which is the book of prophecy. Finally, we come to the last book in the New Testament, which is called the book of Revelation. It stands by its class by itself. It is largely prophetic in nature. Um, although it began with letters to the seven churches located in Asia Minor, John was instructed, write these things which thou hast seen, and which things which are, and which things which shall be hereafter. So he wrote those, the book of Revelation, and uh, I, my concept is, amen, Revelation is not for us to predict the future, but Revelation is for when the future happens, we can say, see there, God knew what he was doing. And so that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the epistles, and the book of Revelation. So when we open up our Bible in the New Testament, and we open up in the New Testament, we find that there was a man by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist. He was the forerunner of Christ, praise God, which is an amazing thing. John the Baptist, amen, the, the Old Testament prophets predicted one that would come to prepare the way for the Messiah. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his path straight in the desert, highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain, praise God, shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough places shall, praise God, be plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in the flesh. And we shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now, Isaiah prophesied that in Isaiah 43 through 5. Praise God. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Malachi 3 and 1. And so these were prophecies of the Lord coming. So you see, these predictions were foretold about the ministry of not only the Lord, but John the Baptist. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, and he came into the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance and remission of sin. As it is written in the book of the words of Elias, the prophet, saying, The voice of one that cometh crieth from the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, 
And so God had John the Baptist to become that forerunner. So you see, because the, John the Baptist was the one that brought Jesus in. He's the one that got things started. You know, I, I do know that there are, there are things that shock us, and then we reject it. But then later on, we will accept it. Jesus, uh, John the Baptist broke the ice of repentance and baptism. That was his purpose to do that. And John, the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist was the messenger that Malachi 3 and 1 talked about. He was the voice in the wilderness that Isaiah 40 and 3 talked about. John preached that he was not the Christ, but another would come and that he would be the one. And one of the greatest things about I love about John the Baptist was the Jesus himself said there's no greater prophet than John the Baptist, and that was that John knew how to decrease and let Jesus increase. If we can learn to increase in life and let Jesus in, de, or, um, decrease in life and let Jesus increase, praise God with the things that we do. Amen. We step back and we let God get the glory. Amen. That's what God wants to see. And so John preaches repentance and baptism. John preached repentance and baptism and remission of sins. Praise God. And he was baptizing. He began to open up baptism. Mary came to hear John, or many came to hear John preach about baptism. John got it started. But Jesus comes along, and John introduces Jesus to them and his disciples. He, uh, John urges them to go on. And one of John predict, I'm sorry, the one whom John predicted would come to him uh, in the form of Jesus Christ. John introduces him as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This is he whom I have said, After me cometh a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I baptizing you with water. But John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it aboded upon him. And I knew him not, <clears throat> but he was sent me to baptize with water the same uh, said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this was the Son of God. And so when the, 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 the dove descended on Christ, John knew that he was the one that was going to uh, um, bring the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Ghost would come by him. John's statement not only identified Jesus as the Messiah, but it also described the foundational message in which Jesus was. He was the Lamb of God. Because you know in the Old Testament, the Lamb was taking away the sins of the world. Well, Jesus was now going to be that Lamb of God, which takes the sin of the worlds away. This saving work had been revealed, praise God, to both Joseph and Mary, amen, the husband and, and, and the, mother, uh, the mother of Jesus and her husband, praise God. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so there was a prophecy there, amen, of that. 
Praise God. There's a little story here I'm going to share with you. Amen. It's in Germany many years ago. A man was working high upon a steeple of a church, and suddenly he lost his footing and fell headlong to the ground beneath. Gazing on the grass was a lamb. The body of the man fell on a lamb, and thus his fall was broken. The lamb perished, but the man was saved. As a token of his gratitude, he carved in one of the stones above the doorway of the church a figure of a lamb. Every true church has a lamb, as it were, carved in stone on its wall. Behold, the Lamb of God. Praise God. And so we look at the birth of Jesus, how Jesus came. The birth of Jesus was recorded in Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. And it was during the reign of Caesar Augustus, who declared the taxation on the people of the Roman Empire. Praise God. Because each person was required to go into his native uh, city to be taxed, Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem. While they were there, many gave, uh, birth, uh, Mary gave birth to Christ, the child, in a stable. Think about that. He laid in a manger. The city was so crowded that there was no room for them in the inn. An angel proclaimed the birth of Christ, the Savior, praise God, in Bethlehem, the shepherds, who were watching over their flocks outside the city. When the angels departed, the shepherds followed the instructions and came to Bethlehem. Praise God. They found Mary and Joseph with the baby in the stable. And you know, I just, just blew my mind when I was studying this last night. Praise God. The shepherds told many of the people. But I, I'm, I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking that the, the, you know, the angels came to the shepherds. And the shepherds were taking care of the sheep. Now, you would think that shepherds were not smart people. Matter of fact, he, man, that's what, you know, I mean, that's why the Roman, or that's why the, the uh, Egyptians did not care for shepherds. They thought they were not smart people. But here these shepherds show up the night of Christ's birth. But he also goes to wise men. And it takes them two years to find him. He goes to shepherds and they find him that night. He goes to wise men, which points out the fact, praise God, that the Lord, you know, it, sometimes our wisdom can get us into trouble. Praise God. Later, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, praise God, to see Jesus. And uh, one, one of the things was they went by and King Herod, and they requested from King Herod where this Jesus might be. Herod, he got scared and said, if you figure out where he's at, let me know so I can worship him. And in the process of finding him, the Lord told him no. He left. They left. Herod got upset. He realized that it had been about two years, and so he had all the children of Nazareth killed. Amen. For the, last, for the next two years. So you know what's amazing to me, and that is, amen, uh, the only thing we know about the early life of Jesus is when he was 12, just a snapshot. Now, all the books that have been written about Jesus, all of the, the impact on Jesus, do you realize that the Lord has never let anything been written about him as a baby other than his birth? 
So from his birth, they write about 12 being at the temple. And then the next thing you know, he's 30 years old. There's nothing. You can't find nothing. I don't even think Josephus has anything on Jesus in that time period, which blows my mind. The very God of glory. You would have thought there would have been something written about him. But Jesus lived at home with Mary and Joseph and his brothers and his sisters until he was about 30 years of age. Amen. Submitting to his parental authority. The only record that we have is his, of his activities was during the time of the family uh, returned from Egypt to Nazareth. Uh, the visit of the Jerusalem when Jesus was 12. And at that time they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all they that heard him were astonished at the understanding and of his answers. Praise God. And so that was the early life of Jesus. But let's talk about some of the prophecies concerning him. There are many prophecies, and if you want these, I will get them for you. But the prophecies concerning Jesus, Genesis 3 and 15 says, uh, the, it's the earliest prophecy concerning the Messiah. It predicted that he would be born of a woman. This prophecy was fulfilled at his birth, Matthew 1 and 20. Isaiah 7 and 14 foretold that the Messiah, Emmanuel, would be born of a virgin. And it specifically was fulfilled in his birth that a virgin Mary, praise God, recorded in Matthew 1 and 18. Genesis 49 and 10 revealed that the tribe of Israel, that through the Messiah would come, which was the tribe of Judah, which was the prophecy, and that was the case. Uh, Micah 5 and 2 further predicted that the Messiah would be born in an obscure town of Bethlehem, which is where Jesus was born. Praise God. Even the visit of the wise men were foretold in the Old Testament. Psalm 72.10 tells about it. Praise God. The cruel hatred of Herod was also foretold in Jeremiah 21 and 15. Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Praise God. Isaiah 7 and 14. The forerunner, a messenger, predicted the Messiah uh, as st students of the Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 40 and 3. Isaiah 35 and 5 foretold of the wonderful ministry of miracles, of healing the blind, deaf, lame, and the mute. Praise God. This prophecy came forth in the New Testament. Zechariah 9.9 foresaw that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem onto a donkey shortly before his crucifixion. Jesus did that in Luke 19. David, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, prophesied the resurrection of Christ. Peter, preaching his first sermon in the book of Acts, amen, quoted from David about that resurrection. David also predicted the ascension of Christ in Psalm 68 and 18. Acts 1 and 9 records this event. The Apostle Paul, years later, applied Psalm 68 and 18 to the ascension of the Lord in Ephesians 4 and 8. The betrayal of the Messiah by one who had been his friend was no surprise, for it was prophesied in Psalms 41 and 9. Judas was his friend. 
praise God. Even the, the amount of money in which Jesus was betrayed was specifically mentioned in the Old Testament, Zechariah 11 and 12. Zechariah 11 and 13 further predicted that the money would be thrown down in the temple of Jerusalem. Praise God. In prophetic language, Zechariah 13 and 7 pictured the forsaking of Jesus by his disciples. According to Psalms 35 and 11, false witnesses would accuse the Messiah. Isaiah 53, a touching of the, uh, of the, the, the dynamic foretelling of the crucifixion of the Messiah, stated that he would be silent before his accusers. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 also tells us, praise God, that he would be bruised and wounded. Isaiah 50 and 6 predicted the smiting of the Messiah, the plucking of the hair from the cheeks, and the spitting in his face. Psalms 27 and 7 and 8 describes the mocking of the Messiah, the piercing of the Messiah's hands and feet. It was foretold both in Psalms 22 and 16, Zechariah 2 and 10. Isaiah 53 and 12 talks about, praise God, the passage of the Messiah that he would be numbered with the transgressors. Psalms 22 deals specifically with the crucifixion of the Messiah. Verse 18 foretells, foretells that his garment would be uh, parted for lots. Praise God. The verse of Psalms 22 records that the Messiah uh, forsaken cried many hundreds of years in advance. His actual words was there. Praise God. The Roman soldiers, though they broke the bones of the thieves, when they came to Jesus, they did not break the bones. Psalms 34 and 20 tells us that. Zechariah 20 and 10 describes the piercing of the Messiah, not only his hands, but also his feet. Praise God. The usual darkness that covered the land during the crucifixion, amen, was told of in Amos 8 and 9. Isaiah 53 and 9 revealed the brutal brutality of the Messiah in the rich man's tomb, or I'm sorry, the burial of the Messiah in the rich man's tomb, tomb the recorded event that happened in uh, Matthew 27 and uh, 57. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 57 through 60. And so when you read in the Old Testament, you find, you know, when you look at that, it's just got to have, it's just got to make you believe that God knows what he's doing in his book. Praise God. Praise God. And to, for all these things to do, the odds are just really outstanding. One of the things that we're going to talk about tonight, and that is the incarnation or the mighty God in Christ, who Christ really was. Praise God. He was God in flesh. He was not a second person in the Trinity. He didn't have a second person. He wasn't separate. Praise God. He was God in flesh. God robed himself in flesh. Mary was the flesh part, and God that moved upon him was the God part. And the way that, the good way that we can understand this, the, the mighty God in Christ, and so we ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus? And it's very important that you understand who Jesus really is. Praise God. Uh, this is a very important question. Because his disciples, he asked his disciples, he said, whom do you say that I am? 
He wanted to know. So it is very important. If Jesus was here today, he would say to you, whom do you say that I am? I, I heard a story the other day. There was a, a traveler that was traveling across the Barren Strait, I think it was. And uh, the people that was traveling with him got upset. And they said, we're lost, we're lost, we're lost. And finally, after a little while, he got upset with them. He stopped. He said, do you see me? And they said, yes, I see you. He was the guide. And he said, okay, as long as you see me, you're not lost. And I thought, you know, I'm never lost as long as I see Jesus. Praise God. I'm never lost as long as I see Jesus. And when you know Jesus, praise God. i got to tell you this. This was another good one. Just, just a little nugget here in the middle. Caleb told me this one. He said, you know, Dan? He said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said, in the fire with the Lord was a lot better than being out there. He said, you know what, Dad? They were in the fire. But he said they were in a lot better shape with the Son of God there with them than they would have been outside. So I thought, I said, that's good, Gabe. I like that. Praise God. That'll preach. Amen. But the thing of it is, amen, you got to know who Jesus is. You got to know who he is. That's like the, the you know, the, 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 the people coming up to the gate, heaven's gate, and someone says, do you know, you know, a, a person standing there said, do you know Jesus? And different people said, yeah, I know Jesus. I did this and this and this for Jesus. And a little old prayer lady come up and she looked at him and she said, oh, Jesus, I'd know you anywhere. Praise God. I know you anywhere. You got to know Jesus. I'm telling you, you can know anybody else in life, but you got to know Jesus. Jesus said, do you know who I am? Praise God. Whom do you say that I am? Matthew 16 and 15. And uh, he, is he a prophet? Yes. But he's much more than that. Amen. And so when you look at the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, and praise God, the lessons, amen, where it talks about God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Praise God. And you look at that. And you see that, you understand that God is a spirit and he's omnipresent. Amen. He is God with us, Isaiah 7 and 14 says. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, Isaiah 9 and 6. He is the one who created us, Genesis 1 1, Malachi. While Jesus is God, he is also man. And so he was God robed in flesh. The mystery of godliness is that God was manifested or made known in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. As a man, Jesus hungered, he slept, he was weary, he wept and prayed, praise God. As God, he fed the 5,000, healed the sick, raised the dead, was able to answer prayer, praise God. And so, uh, the, when you look at the great confessions resulting, praise God, about who Jesus really was, you, can, you got to understand that he was Jesus. He was both God and man. Uh, he was fully God and he was fully man. Now, I'm going to give you this chart before you leave here today. Amen. And in this chart, if, if you look, it'll say like God is the creator. If you go directly across to the opposite side, it gives you the scriptures where Jesus is the creator. So when you look at this wheel, 
when I give it to you, it'll say God is the shepherd. And then you look on the other side, it says he is the shepherd. But there's some things in there about that God is the creator. Of course, you know, you only have one creator. And so it's a, it's a wheel chart. And I'm going to give them to you before you leave here today. Praise God. But we cannot stress too much the importance of the identity of Christ, who Christ really is. You see, the Pharisees asked him, where's the Father? And Jesus asked, answered unto them. He said, have you been so long with me uh, that you do not know me? I and the Father are one. If you would have known me, you would have known the Father also. For if you believe that I am he, ye shall, er, I'm sorry, if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins, John 8 and 19. <clears throat> so they had to understand, and that's the reason they wanted to put him on the cross, because he called himself God. Amen. And they could not accept that. And, uh, and so, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to the Jewish people, if you want to win the Jewish people, one of the reasons the Jewish people have been turned so far off on Pentecost or I'm sorry, on Christianity, is because they only have one God. And the Trinitarian doctrine or the Catholic doctrine, they will not swallow whatsoever because the hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one God. But if a Pentecostal person can get a hold of them that understands, praise God, that it's only one God, but he's called by many different uh, translations or many different names. He has many different aspects, but it's all by one spirit. It's only one God. A Jewish person can accept, amen, Christianity much easier because you got to understand that he is one God. One of these days I'm going to do, I'm putting together a lesson on threes. There's something about threes, uh, the, the, the past, the present, the beginning, that's just starting out. But there's something about threes. There's so many things about threes in life. And uh, it's all in threes. Uh, even to where when you say something, if you use four examples, it doesn't seem right. It just doesn't work. It doesn't click. But if you use three examples, just things like that. But it's threes. And there's a lot of threes in the Bible. But there's only one God. The Father was, the son, uh, was in the Son the, you know, the Holy Ghost was in him. The Father and the Son are not two separate persons, praise God, but God, the Spirit, amen, I'm sorry, but God, the Spirit, manifested himself in the flesh, in humanity. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Ephesians 4, 5 through 6 reveals the oneness of God. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And so, amen, we have that about Jesus. Let me just go through his miracles today. Jesus did many miracles. After Jesus' baptism, the first recorded event in the adult life of Christ was his baptism. John baptized him in Matthew. John was reluctant to do the baptism because he knew who Christ was. But Christ said, suffer it to be so. Jesus came unto the water and John saw him. And heavens opened up and of course the dove descended upon him. After, after Jesus' baptism, amen, he went out into the wilderness and he was tempted of the Lord of the Satan for 
for 40 days. For 40 days, he fasted is what it was. And following his baptism, the Bible said the Spirit led him into the wilderness. This was to make him strong. This was, he come out of this to start doing miracles and start doing his ministry. But he first had to prove himself. You see, for where, for, for where Eve fell under the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, Jesus had to overcome the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life to be our Savior. Where Eve fell with the temptation, Christ had to be victorious with that temptation. And so that's why it was very important for when, that, when the 40 days had come for the Satan to say to him, command these stones to be turned into bread. There's a lot of teaching there. But Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. Cast thyself down. These were temptations, amen, that the Lord uh, was given. Not only that, but he came out with a miraculous ministry, praise God, because Jesus' miracles of ministry uh, fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. He gave sight to the blind. He raised the dead. He touched the lepers, and they were cleansed. The lame walked, the deaf heard, and the mute spoke. In the meantime... John the Baptist had been placed in prison and condemned by Herod. John told Herod that it was unlawful for him to have his brother's wife, Matthew 14, 3-4. While in prison, John heard Christ's ministry, and he sent two of his disciples. Now, John was struggling. He knew his end was coming, and he just wanted to make sure that what he did Amen. was good. And so he sent his disciples to Jesus, and Jesus sent them back. And he said, you tell them. Here's the scripture. Because the thing of it is, please hear me on this. No matter how we feel, no matter how it looks like, it all goes back to biblical scripture. You have to hold on to biblical scripture. And Jesus said to the disciples of John, you go back and you let them know about, praise God, these scriptures, the blind see, the deaf hear, etc. Praise God. But Jesus had a heart towards the ministry of the, of the people. Some of the Jewish people were confused, amen, about the Messiah being born, amen, and the oppression of the Romans, amen. But Jesus came to minister to the people. He came to minister to the rich, the poor, praise God, and everybody else. Jesus never refused. He never turned away an invitation. He always gave to those that were thirsty to drink. Praise God. Even the little children came unto him. And as Christians, they came unto him. Or as people, they came unto him. And God opened up and gave unto them. Praise God. And so, that is the end of this lesson. The next lesson that we're going to start out next Wednesday is where Jesus starts to teach Nicodemus about the new birth. Isn't that exciting? Yes. Praise God. He starts teaching him about the new birth. Praise God. You know, it's kind of hard to go through this Bible study because there's so many things. It's almost like flying over with a plane. You're looking down, you're thinking, man, there's a lot of detail down there. But praise God. But uh, I feel it's good that we take a time period and just kind of cover it uh, in a large, and in, in, in back up 
and see the picture as a whole. So many times we get right up to the picture and we see the different things in a picture, but we need to back up and see the Bible as a whole. Let's all stand.